If they can say it on HBO, we can say it on that black couple. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm a queer black feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Greetings. Grab your hot chocolate, the kind from Starbucks, with a pump of cinnamon dolce. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, you talk about the snickerdoodle kind. Well, I don't call it that because mine has two pumps of white mocha, one pump of the normal mocha, and then one pump of cinnamon dolce. See, I like, I like the double cinnamon dolce and then the double white. Well, that's because you're weird. That's not hot chocolate. So, <laughs> hot chocolate from Starbucks. This is that black couple. And have a seat. And you can thank me later when you hit up that Starbucks real quick. This is that black couple. I'm Jen. This is Darren. And let's get started. We're on episode nine. I can't believe we're on. I was gonna say, can you believe we're on episode nine? Nine episodes. Nine episodes. And y'all niggas been listening to us the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) This is just interesting. So before we get started, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that blk couple on Facebook at that black couple. And look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And make sure you rate us high because that shit is important. Extremely. So here's the other thing. We are on episode 9 and there's only 12 episodes in the first season. So that means after this one we only have 3 episodes left. Yep. So just make a mental note of that. We are not going to be working through the holidays. Don't think that we're going to be doing this year round. It's not happening. So after you get your episodes next week, we're going to take a little break for the colonizers holiday, a.k.a. Thanksgiving, a.k.a. Blacksgiving or whatever you celebrate. Get your macaroni and cheese, peach cobbler, sweet potato pie. We don't put no pumpkins in no pie. We don't eat pumpkins. We don't put pumpkins in the house. We don't put pumpkins in anything. Why do people do that? I'm not going to answer that question. I know the answer, but what I'm saying is, I think I'm just triggered because somebody gave my child pumpkin bread the other day, and I Mm -hmm. feel I feel like it was a personal assault. Like I I feel I feel disrespected. Yeah, and they did. They didn't really give us no one asked me. And he said he liked it, so now I feel like we have to like no work no you know to counter. We're not we're not we're gonna not gonna acknowledge it. No. So like I said, we're gonna take a break. After next week, you're going to get all 12 episodes, and then we'll be back in January with some new episodes. On today's episode, we're talking about implicit racism and microaggressions in predominantly white spaces. So, in first things first, we'll be discussing how subtle forms of racism show up in our everyday lives. Then in the conversation, we'll dig deeper into what implicit racism is and how we conceive of microaggressions and what racism looks like for black millennials in the United States. Mm -hmm. And finally, in the reflection, we'll talk about how we address these issues and what some of the ways are to combat them when we do the whole adulting thing. Right. 
So we've written a few articles at watercoolercombos.com covering today's topics, and we'll also be covering some sources from the web in addition. So we'll make sure to drop all of those links into the show notes so you can read them at your leisure. Leisure? Your leisure. Oh, you said le. Yeah, your leisure. It sounded like le earlier. Your leisure? Leisure. No, your you got you got. It's like you gotta say. It's like through your nose. Your leisure. That sounds like some bougie shit. It is. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let go. Let's go. Start this episode. <laughs> okay, so implicit racism. I know we really. I, I think we we kind of fell into this because we were watching This Is Us. Yeah. And I love that show. Yeah. But it's like a love hate. Thing, it's, like, it's a difficult one. Like from week to week, sometimes I love it, and then the next week I'm like, "Wow, this is just like." For me, it's not even weekly. It's like moments. It's like I love it, and then like two seconds later, I'm like, "I hate this God, fucking show." <laughs> they ruined it. They, did it again. they ruined everything. You know. <laughs> and so um, they did a lot of of the episode where they were following the fa- the whole family when they were like in the the childhood age range. And let's give some background if people haven't watched This Is Us. If you live under a rock, little child, yeah. So and you don't know what this is us is. So this is us. It's a show on NBC. It came out last year for its first season. It has Everyone Sterling K. Brown. Has Sterling K. Brown, which is the only person we really care yes. about. And, yeah, he's the only real person. <laughs> oh, oh, and well, the, the person who plays Beth. I don't know her real name. I can't remember her name, but, but we care about her too. Basically, we really only care about their the black people section <laughs> of the cast. I mean, so right. I'm just here for the black people. I'm voting for. I'm them voting for the black everything. people. I'm rooting for the black people. But but to give yeah, I guess to give a quick introduction. So the way the whole show came together. And this is a big spoiler. If you haven't seen it, this was like the big spoiler for the start of the show. But there were two white people and Mandy Moore, Mandy Moore and, and Milo Ventimiglia. Ventimiglia mm-hmm. And they were married and white and happy. And she got pregnant with, with triplets. triplets. And something happened during the delivery process. And one of the one of the triplets passed away. Right. I think it was Kyle. Yeah. His name was Kyle. Yeah. Right. And it was really sad. At the same time, Randall, the black kid. Mm-hmm. Um, did his did his mother die? His mom passed away. His mother passed away, and the dad was like addicted to drugs and was basically like, "I know that I'm not going to be a good parent," and basically just left the child in a box, right, at the hospital, right. And so this coincidentally happens all you know at the same day, at the same time, at the same hospital, which is what the whole show is about. All right. these things it's that just coincidentally happen, right. And so then they they on the spot in the hospital. As they just lost a child, say, well, let's just adopt this we'll other just, one we'll just because take this that child baby. has no parent, right? right? So then they raised the three kids like triplets. I mean, they all had the same day, right? Uh, a, a birthday. One of them just happens to be black. The other right. two are white, right? Right, right. And and the other two actually act more like twins, which is really kind of messed up, right? Right. But so, but the way the show is told, it's told like in their childhood. Like what was happening when they were children, and then also in their adulthood, right? And it kind of follows them and goes, you know, forwards and backwards through the timelines to kind of weave these intricate, you right, know, overly emotional stories together, right? So the dad, the guy we're talking about, the the black triplet is Randall, and he's he's like he's very serious. He's a very hard worker, very smart, very very smart, very accomplished. He has some issues with anxiety that they explore in the show, which I think. They do a pretty good job with really that. really kind of powerful, kind of good. Right. But what kind of brought us to this episode was they follow this this part of their childhood where his, I guess, grandmother. adopted grandmother right. is kind Manny of Manny Moore's town. mom. Manny Moore's mom. Manny Moore doesn't like her anyway. She kind of just showed up and they're all kind of mad that she's there. But they're all kind of just say, okay, well, you're the grandmother. We'll let you sit around. And she spends most of the episode just 
dogging Randall out. But not explicitly. Not explicitly. Like, he'll walk in and say, oh, I built this great science project, and it does all these cool things, and it flips things up in the air, and it combines all these chemical and compounds. She's like, and she's like, here, go play with this basketball. Right. Like, <laughs> basically, you know, all these, what, what people call, like, subtle forms of racism to right. basically say, well, you're a black kid, so I know it, it sounds like you really want to do all these smart things, but you're black. So what we're going to really do is just put a ball in your hand right. and say, you know, go bounce the ball and go run up the field. Right. And that's, that's your the thing, best Your thing is physicality. Right. right. So let's, let's, let's stop acting like you can be smart or do anything, you know, intellectual. Right. And it was a hard episode to watch. It was. And to kind of touch on what we were saying about the show is it handles it really well in a lot of ways. But then there's also some like really like... What would, you, what would you call those moments where Manny Moore kind of steps in and is like, oh, Randall. I mean, I think the thing is that there's a lot of well-meaning whiteness on the yes, show. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and like, it's like they, they want to handle these situations, which are, which are very real situations, right? Not not to diminish this or take it away and, and, and imply that, you know, there's not issues with implicit racism and that there aren't, you know, folks who move throughout the world who experience these issues. The issue is that in a lot of the ways that, for instance, like this is us shows it is that Mandy Moore's character, Milo and Demilio's characters, they 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 often step in and do the whole like, well, we're different. Well, we're well, we're gonna take care of our kids because we're different kinds of white people. Yeah, I, th- I think I think what happened in the episode is she confronted her mother and she was like, "Mom, you are racist. You are so racist, you mom." Are so, and the mom's like, oh, "You are racist. You call me racist, right?" But, and then of course Randall is like around the corner hearing this, right? And Manny Moore looks like just terrified. I'm so sorry, son. And I'm so like, sorry. And he's like, "What's racist?" Right. And then she has to explain. This kid's brilliant, but he doesn't know what right. racist then is. She, she has to explain. But what then isn't that is. commentary though that they've never told this kid what racism is? Right. Like, right. Come on. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's where they miss, right? That's where they mess up because they want to do this whole, like, they want to do this whole thing about, like, having this black kid in the family, having, a, you know, one of the twins who's, like, o- overweight and in adulthood, she's kind of obese, right? And then they have the, the kid who's, like, the star athlete and the perfect all-American. all-American guy. And so when they say this is us and the dad is struggling with alcoholism, so they, they that's what they mean by this is us. And it's, like, this kind of combination of humanity, like, the things that just go on in a family. And... I get that. Like, I really, really get it. But I, I, what I struggle with is like the caricaturing of Randall's blackness as like being this really weird thing that they navigate in every single episode. And then they just bungle it in so many obvious ways. Mm-hmm. So you have this grandmother who's implicitly racist and sometimes explicitly racist, but you've never talked to this, the son about what racism is. That's well-meaning whiteness. That's a problematic. That's, that's, that's a problem, right? So if this kid is experiencing this and you can see that he's hard broken when his grandmother comes in town and he can't interact with her in the same ways that his siblings can but you still expect him to move around and be socialized and conditioned by her in the same ways and on the same terms that doesn't actually make any sense to me and so yeah so that was where it's like okay we have to do something on implicit racism because i think implicit racism is a real important thing right it's an important conversation to have and it reminds me a lot of like when i worked in corporate america and i would have this one white girl who would come in and greet everyone with like a hi and then like the black people especially like me she'd be like hey girl how you doing girl you know and like neck rolls and like weird like eye fluttery things and like 
things I did, I just would be looking at her like what is going on or like when I told her I didn't like Rihanna's music that became a whole thing and mm-hmm. she like harangued me about this for months because somehow she wanted to like measure my she this white girl from Minnesota <laughs> wanted to measure my blackness by my like for Rihanna's music I'm like oh she's just not I don't I don't buy her music she's beautiful I just don't like her music right and so like I, it made me think about the ways that like we interact in these environments with white people who are racist, who are racist, who are not colorblind. And, you know, colorblindness is really just a cover for being explicitly racist, in my opinion. It's like, I completely see race. I completely see your color. But it makes me so uncomfortable that I'd rather pretend like it doesn't exist. That's what colorblindness is. And to me, implicit racism is kind of a derivative of that. Implicit racism is like, I actually am trying to subvert my own racism. I'm trying so hard to hide it. I'm trying to not be like yelling the N-word at you. I'm trying to not openly discriminate against you but it keeps coming through because i'm still trash and i'm still racist right and so i'm like we have to talk about this idea of implicit racism and if it even exists right like if it's actually even a real thing and if it's implicit racism is it's still just racism right i see it as like levels levels to racism i think there's like levels it's like so like when you think about like we were talking about with randall like i feel like you know that's quote-unquote implicit racism and it's, I feel like it's almost like a programming. And it's that same thing, like, well, will people act like that? And then when pe- when someone criticizes them and says, you can't treat them like that. You can't say those things. They're like, what's the big deal? I'm not saying anything bad. I'm not being rude. I'm not, you know, it, there's, there's, this, there's this almost like protective cover where people can say, well, it's actually not, I'm not explicitly doing anything. So what I'm doing is not that bad. That's, that's kind of what the cover is for it, but it's still racism. And we know yeah. that, that that's what it is. It's, it's racism and it colors their thoughts and their behaviors. And then when they kind of treat other people in that way, especially children, it then kind of teaches them those same patterns and behaviors. And it's like, oh, well, someone is supposed to speak to me that way. Or people are supposed to believe that all I can do is bounce a ball and I can't do, you know, advanced calculus. That that to me is kind of how I see implicit racism. I mean, I get it. I guess what I'm trying to say is that if, if implicit racism has the same underlying causes and the same consequences, then I'm wondering what the point is of focusing on its intent. Right. So if the causes are white supremacy, anti-blackness and white heteropatriarchal capitalism. Right. If the causes are colonial histories and imperialism, if the causes are this idea that white people are just better people than everyone else. And if the consequences are the shortening, influencing, impacting of black life, if the consequences are fewer resources and opportunities for black people to achieve liberation. If the consequences are the same, if Becky says, I'm totally racist, or she says, I'm not racist, or she says, I don't think I'm racist, or she says, I don't mean to be racist. But if in all those situations, she still upholds a system of white supremacy, I'm wondering, does it really matter if it's implicit or explicit? That is the question. That is the question. Thank you for listening. We are the proud founders of watercoolerconvos.com, a platform at the intersections of blackness, culture, and adulting. We started that black couple to dive deeper into the issues facing young black millennial folks navigating the anti-black, anti-queer, white supremacist world today. This podcast is supported by donations and patronage of our listeners and readers of our blog. You should head over there and check out some of the content when you get a chance.
If you would like to become a monthly subscriber or patron and help fund our content, sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash watercooler combos. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. We really want to hire new writers and social media people, y'all, but we can't do that without your help. You can also give a one-time donation at www.paypal.me forward slash combos. All donations are welcome. You can stream the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing an episode, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope-ass comments. This helps us with our page views and also gives us more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the show. All right, we're back. And it's time for the conversation. And I want to start off by giving some definitions for things like microaggressions and implicit racism. I think that's necessary. Okay, yeah, let's just level set here. Right. So one of my favorite articles in the social sciences comes from Eduardo Bonilla Silva and Tyrone Foreman. It's called I'm Not Racist, But. And it's this really in-depth, like, interview-style article where they talk to a bunch of young, white, like, college-age students about, like, a very, like a host of things. They talk about politics. They talk about dating, um, specifically interracial dating. Um, and they just talk about, like, affirmative action with the whole point of drawing out the ways that subtle conversations about race and about, like, Black people can show how racist people actually are without using explicit cues, right? So the article is really interesting because a lot of the people in the article, you can tell that they get really uncomfortable when certain topics come up. Like they'll say, oh, you know, I don't have a problem with like interracial couples, but I would never do that. Like I would never date, you know, a black person or, you know, I don't want to say anything racist about affirmative action or about black people, but I kind of feel like it's wrong. Uh, right. So they, they clearly didn't feel comfortable saying like the explicitly racist shit that was probably in their head because coming out of their mouth, it didn't sound right. It sounded unacceptable. It sounded wrong. Right. But that doesn't change that they feel that way. They, they thought those thoughts. They just didn't want to say them because they were embarrassed. And then having to look at someone in their face and say it is like, uh, I think this might be racist, right? It's acknowledging it, yeah. Right. And then we know that there's a lot of ways, like you'll be on Twitter or you'll be on Facebook and people will say, you know, I don't want to sound racist, but, and then after that, but is almost always the most racist shit you've ever heard. It's almost always something like, you're like, wow, that's incredibly racist. Every time. Right. And so for me, it's like, okay, we talk about implicit racism and symbolic racism and all these, you know, derivatives and variants and integrals of racism, but they're all racism and they all stem from anti-blackness. They stem from white supremacy. So what exactly do we accomplish with using terms like implicit racism? What if we're really just talking about the fact that there's no longer like Jim Crow, if we're talking about the fact that there's no longer like a legal right to walk out into the street and lynch a black person and you might actually go to jail for doing something, might go to jail for doing something like that. Might. You might be held accountable for doing something like that, right? If there's no longer the, the riots of East St. Louis, there's no longer this 
the stuff that Ida B. Wells was documenting in the late 19th, early 20th century, the, the type of lynching and mayhem that was happening to black folks when Du Bois was covering the South. You know, when, when Douglas was talking about the experiences of watching post-slavery and in slavery, looking at how people were being treated for actually just wanting liberty and life and justice, right? If we're saying, okay, that stuff doesn't happen anymore, so now racism is implicit? How? How? What's changed is how we've talked about racism, right? How we express our racist ideas. And I say we, I mean white people, and I'm not white, but, hmm. you know, how, what's acceptable. What's changed is what's acceptable. I I agree. And I, I, I think this is a really interesting kind of way to come at it. Honestly, as you were talking, I just kept thinking, I mean, I've, I've interacted with a lot of white people in my life. I know you have, too especially in my childhood, and I think about people who, who kind of do that. I'm not racist, but... Yeah. And how they have that feeling like, this feels wrong. Like, and, and honestly, my mind goes straight to people who are kind of scared to talk about race. And I think a lot of that comes from just being ignorant. Yeah. And not really knowing, but also knowing that white people do a lot of racist shit. Right. And so I think a lot of white people have this fear of like, if I talk about race nine times out of 10, I'm going to say something racist. Correct. And so they'd rather just like ignore it or dance around it. But that's also racist. Right. And, and, and what happens though is then when they do talk about race, like we're saying, then they end up saying stuff that's like quote unquote covertly racist. Right. (laughs) Because like they don't, it's that it's that it's that idea of of intent versus you know the reality of the situation of I'm not saying this to and I'm not I don't intend to do anything or say anything bad about you in a in a racial kind of way, but that's exactly what I'm doing with my words and I think I think that's the the dichotomy that that at least seems to be the dichotomy that a lot of white people right kind of are fighting and I think honestly the idea of implicit racism is a way more or less to basically soften the blow for white people to say i agree you're not you're not being you know overtly racist you're not like those old southern people who hung people yeah you're just implicitly racist like that's 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 the type of racist that we can work with like we can we can massage that out you know we can we can train you like a dog to not do the implicit racist stuff right yeah i I feel like that's kind of what is behind the idea of implicit racism of just making making white people feel better or not feel as bad about the type of racist that they are which is why it's inherently wrong yes i mean that's i think that's my problem with it i think i agree i agree that the idea of implicit racism does make white people feel more cuddly and make them feel better about themselves like i'm not doing it on purpose it's an that was an accident like you know you have kids and you know something will happen our kids do this all the time something will happen it was an accident even when the shit was on purpose Mm-hmm. It was an I accident. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, I I didn't mean to do it, you know? And I think here's the thing. I, I okay. Here's my fundamental issue with the with with this whole issue, with this whole conversation. And I don't I feel even uncomfortable having an entire episode talking about white people. Like that's also making me very uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think my thing is like this is why white people need to talk to other white people about racism. Like, I really, I really fundamentally believe that unless a person of color, specifically a black person, is being paid for their work to talk to white people about racism, they shouldn't be doing it. 
it should be white people who understand white people who've lived lives as white people to talk to other white people about shit like this, right? Because if I'm talking to you and you are doing implicitly, covertly, symbolically, whatever weird frou-frou powder puff word we use for racism shit to me, you are harming me, right? You're harming me. And and you're already predisposed to not even fully kind of take in what's being said. Right. Because because of who it's coming from. Right. Right. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. When a person of color, specifically a black person, specifically a black woman, a queer trans folk person, like let somebody be at the margins of the margins of the margins trying to talk to a white person, a cis het white person, especially a man, about the ways that they are re-marginalizing them. You know, it's like talking to a brick wall. Yep. And that's why, to me, it's not our job to do that work. It's just not our job to do that work. And so, okay, let's talk about microaggressions. Because I feel like that's another word that people throw around a lot. And actually, a lot more white people use the word microaggressions than black people. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a clear reason Yeah, I think so, too. (laughs) So, okay, and I want to bring this up because a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Harizi Yad, managing editor at Black Youth Project, uh, has said that implicit racism is is a myth and that because larger systems of white supremacy exist, larger systems of anti-blackness exist, and that they've world made in such a way that white people can't continue to claim to be bereft of knowledge that they exist, that we can't keep pretending as, as if implicit racism is a thing, right? You, you can't be ignorant for 500 years. Like, right. legit. Like, you can't be ignorant to this day. Now, there are so many history books and the Google you can't still be ignorant. Well, the one thing I would say is, is in theory, you can't. But I also feel like there are some forces at work to like explicitly try to make people ignorant and try to actually erase what is true and to I misinform agree. people. I agree. I mean, that's that's a, that's on a side note. I agree. And, Republicans and, over here rewriting history. <laughs> they making you know history, history books, books say the yeah. Confederacy won. All type of weird shit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's that's a whole other episode. But here's the other thing. But... Black people have to survive this shit. We have to navigate this shit every day. We figure this shit out as early as like fucking kindergarten. We navigate this shit and become adept at white supremacy. We understand exactly how the system works at a very early age. I refuse to believe that white people are just generally and collectively ignorant and are incapable, just incapable of understanding how the system works, right? I can't. Yeah, def- it, it, it's definitely not incapable. It's it's a willful willful ignorance. It absolutely is. It's, it's by choice. It's saying I don't have to. So absolutely, I won't. It doesn't affect me personally, so right. I'm not gonna do it. So I agree with Hari, but I want to talk about this idea of microaggressions, and the reason why is because I don't actually believe that microaggressions are a thing. I don't understand what a microaggression is. According to Psychology Today, microaggressions are. The everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether intentional or unintentional, which communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages to target persons based solely upon their marginalized group membership. In many cases, these hidden messages may invalidate the group identity or experiential reality of target persons, demean them on a personal or group level, communicate they are lesser human beings, suggest they do not belong with the majority group, threaten and intimidate or relegate them to inferior status and treatment. Wow. 
Listen, what did I just say in there that was micro? That, that's exactly what I was going to say. None of that felt small. None of that felt little. <laughs> None of that is micro. None of it. And this is my fundamental issue, right? So if we're going to sit here and say that a microaggression can target an entire group identities, can threaten and can intimidate, can relegate someone to inferior status, can do all this work, right? Whether intentional or unintentional. And we still call that a microaggression, a microaggression. Any form of aggression is a part of a, a part of a larger systemic process. Right. When I see, for instance, you know, uh, violence that occurs or, or catcalling that I see on the street, right, between, you know, cis heterosexual male and a cis heterosexual woman walking down the street, right? When I see that type of catcalling, I know that that is a part of a larger process of sexual violence and rape culture. I know that as a part of a larger process of patriarchy that says that men have ownership of women's bodies, right? I see them as connected, I don't see them as separate from one another. So when I think about a microaggression, specifically when I think about racial microaggressions, when I think about the girl, um, what was her name? Cat. Cat. Her name was Cat. Cat with a K. Cat with a K. And I always put it with a C, which pissed her off. But her real name had a C. So I was confused why you would change it to a K. <laughs> I'm still confused by it. If your name is a C, your real name has a C. Like say your name is Catherine with a C. And you go by Cat. Why you change it to a K? Why are you fucking with me? She's trying to feel special. That's what not, is that's, that? That's what that is. It's just special. so extra and irritating. It just added it added to the layer of irritating bullshit that she did. Anyway, but when she walks in and says, girl, and wants to talk to me about Rihanna and Taylor Swift and shit like that, I don't want to be in these conversations with you. I don't want to sit here and debate Taylor Taylor, I don't listen to Taylor Swift. I don't fucking care about Taylor Swift. Like the idea that she wanted to like measure me and like wanted to be interacting with me on these kind of racial valences, right? That was microaggressive, right? By the standard of what microaggression is. Right. But it was a part of a larger, a larger context that says that like as a black woman, you know, she and I were closer in the same age or whatever. And as a black woman, I wasn't allowed to say anything about the way she was talking to me. I wasn't allowed to do anything in the workplace environment because I would have been seen as aggressive. I would have been seen as combative. And she was exploiting that system, right, to basically kind of goad me into conversations and situations that I didn't want to be in. And over time, they be- they became very uncomfortable to me and very hostile to me. And that's a larger system of white supremacy. That's a larger system of massage noir. That's That's, you know what? That's very interesting, because when you when you frame it up that way, it really that's all it really is. That's all it is. It really even, even especially in those instances where it's quote unquote unintentional, it's unintentional, but it's also harmful because of white supremacy, right? Right. So like she doesn't have to think about hey, I wonder if she wants to have this conversation with me right, or not. Right. She can come from a place of a. Well, I want to have a conversation with her about this. So she has to have and, it. And I want to read her and I want to understand, you know, where she where she lands on these, you know, specific topics right. and subjects because as a black woman, I want to understand, you know, she she's able to come at it almost like like I, I want to say voyeuristic, but it's almost like like she's on a safari and she's on an expedition <laughs> right. and she's like, "Let's let's, let's talk to her about Taylor Swift." The land of the blacks. What about and, this song? She literally like played music for me. I was in a car. We were going to lunch. And with the the other black girls, and she like made us listen to music because she wanted to hear my opinion on Taylor Swift's music. I'm like, this bitch is talentless. I don't really want to hear. And she's like, listen to this one. What about this one? What about that one? What about this one? I'm like, I don't. (laughs) 
your opinion is not going to change. Bitch. And you know me, I'm like, can I just shake this bitch one good time? You know, and I, I know I can't. But like hood hood laws would say, <laughs> I could check her at least a nice chin check, a shoulder check, something, mm-hmm. you know. But there's no hood laws, you know, in corporate America. No, unfortunately, no. Not. So I mean, I just feel like when people use the term microaggressions, that's another one of those things that like white people really love terms. They love them. They love them and they hate them, right? You get, like the racist people, the misogynists, the the assaulters, the sexual violators. They hate terms, right? Because they feel they feel called out. But the well-meaning whites, oh, they're like, oh, that's a microaggression, Becky, Becky, that's a microaggression. It's <laughs> Becky. It's really not cool to talk about Jen's braids. Don't touch her hair, Becky. <laughs> Becky, Solange said, don't touch my hair. <laughs> So just be careful. You're invading her private space. There's a long history there, Becky. So you know, so I'm just fired. saying they be doing that though. Like I feel like I feel like the well-meaning whites really like terms like that. But then I'm like, well, what are you actually doing? Well, okay. Are you attributing that to a system? Are you doing systemic disruption and dismantling work? Don't just name the shit. Then do something. But here, here's the thing. So. In all honesty, I was coming into this episode really kind of ready to at least argue with you a little bit. You know, <laughs> I know we tend to be kind of on the same wavelength on a lot of things, and I, mm-hmm. kind of, but I kind of felt like you know, I think there's some space here. I think we we kind of diverge a little bit on this, but we, I mean, honestly, we really don't. We don't. When as we're talking about like implicit racism and microaggressions, and you were just talking about terms. And that's that's all this is. It's just it's a, it's a process of renaming. It's mm-hmm. just like when you know white supremacists are like, we're not white supremacists. We're the alt right. It's like, why are we coming up with what different are you doing? names? Why are we trying to rename things and, and kind of rebrand things? It's the same it's stuff. It's the same racism. And this is the same racism. You know that you know that their fathers and mothers and 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 all, all of their ancestors were doing when when they were protesting the integration of schools and when they didn't want black people to be considered whole entire human beings. Right. Like it's it's the same stuff that's just been passed down from generation to generation. Right. And people have talked about it more and they've kind of in the in the greater body of society made people feel more ashamed or feel more bad about having certain labels. And so they've kind of parsed things apart and they've, you know, Giving them little avenues to say, well, this fits in this bucket. And right. This one fits in that bucket. And right. this is defined this way and this is defined that way. And so you kind of dilute the idea right. that all this shit is just racist. Right. And right. If, and if you can pick it apart in that way, it makes it much harder for you to, to have just one big target. Exactly. Say, this is all racism. Exactly. Now let's fix it. Exactly. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I cannot. I totally agree. <laughs> I do. I do. I fundamentally believe that we do a lot of work like naming this and compartmentalizing that and suctioning off this and put this piece over there. But this is not intentional. So treat those those folks differently than you treat these people. Okay, these people are explicitly racist. So treat them differently. Okay, now these are the people who we punch. Okay, these are people who we don't punch. These are the people who we hug. Okay, these are people who we give love. No. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing? Okay, some of the races we're punching and some of the races we're loving. Some of the races we give a candle, and some of them we give a, a fucking flamethrower. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You laughing, but like I'd be confused. I'd be looking at the tw- at the twitters, and I'd be like, "Y'all, which ones we punching?" Well, here's the thing too, because I punch an old lady. 
Listen, I'm not punching no Nazi. But I feel like you should be punching them old ladies. The Nazis don't care. Like, okay, listen. We got to talk about this whole punching Nazi thing. Can you, can you, can you start from the beginning on that? <laughs> you started at punching old ladies and I'm lost. Here's the thing. People stay talking about the Nazis. Punch a Nazi. There's this whole punch a Nazi movement, which I think is stupid, and it gets on my fucking nerve. If you punch a Nazi, they're not going to be like, whoa, this Nazism actually... You're not going to knock the Nazi out of them. This is not a fucking Disney cartoon where you hit them, and then their spirit flops out and looks up to you and goes, oh, wow, shit, I should change my life. This is not fucking Doctor Who. This is not Doctor Strange. We're, we're not knocking people out of their souls, leaving out their bodies and shit. The Nazi spirit of racism will exit their body when you punch them in the face. You can't exercise a Nazi. You can't exercise a Nazi. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm sorry you feel that way, but you cannot. You can't. You can't. I just don't think we should be wasting punching energy on Nazis. I really don't. I mean, maybe it makes you feel better. And also, I'm not punching nobody, first of all, because I'm not breaking no fucking nail. And if they hit me, my ass is in big trouble because I have a disability. So that's that's another reason I'm not, I don't be telling people out and punch nobody because, you know, look, we're going to be in jail. Listen, also, a lot of us can't post no bail. We're not thinking, we're, I be thinking about constituencies and shit and like consequences. Like let a black person go outside and punch a white person. It don't matter what that white person has been doing. That white person could be out there shooting somebody in the actual process of shooting somebody and the black person will go to jail before the white person. Yep. So I just, whatever. Anyway, but what I'm saying is the reason why it concerns me is that there are aunties, uncles, cousins, sisters, brothers, church members, homies, sewing club presidents and shit who are racist as fuck. Coworkers who will sit right in your face and say racist shit. And we say nothing to them. We say nothing to them. We don't punch them. We don't never punch them. We don't never talk about punching them. We just sit around like, oh, well, they're just from a different time. Oh, you know, Aunt Nancy, <laughs> she always saying that racist shit on Thanksgiving. What are you talking about? Well, I think here's the thing, right? Especially when we talk about older people, I believe, I believe it's funny because there's all this talk about millennials and how millennials are the, the biggest generation now right. and how we're shaping the world and it's all about what millennials think and, and oh millennials are so they're we're such free thinkers and we're so much more liberal in our ideas and it's like. I need I need y'all to understand that Listen. a lot of millennials had racist ass parents. Still got them. And let's not act like they're just all cutting off, you know. Millennials are just lineage. as racist as their parents or grandparents. It's the same stuff. And and we're also known as the colorblind generation. If Girl. we were, if we were so woke as a generation, we, there wouldn't be so many of us walking Girl. around saying, I'm colorblind and I don't see race. Goodbye. I just see the love and the joy in your heart and Goodbye. I see you for that's not that's not what this is. Bye girl. Like let's let's just let's That's just, my issue. Is like if we're gonna sit here talking about punching Nazis, why just punch all the white people? Well and, and I think there's a I also think there's a belief, especially with older people, it's like we just need to let them all just die off. They're At not, some point, that's they're not how racism goes. And then it'll all be fixed. I don't understand <laughs> that. People was born in fucking eighteen ninety two, them niggas died. They died. Racism's still here. People born, 1900, died. Racism still here. That's not, we can't use death. Mortality, racism don't die with well, mortal bodies. And this, But this is what we always say. It's because racism is... is it transforms. Part, it's built into a system of white supremacy. Right. And the, the system The is, state is inherently racist. It's, yeah, it's built into the foundation of the The state is anti-black. Country. The state is anti-black. The state made laws that said that 
the condition of slavery passed down through the mother and not through the father so that white slave masters could continue to rape their enslaved black women and, and, and create babies and use them and, and sell them. The state is inherently racist. Like read some fucking Cheryl I. Harris, some whiteness is property. Like the state has this Jim Crow. This is state based. Like what are we talking about? Even the process, I think, think about Chicago right now. Y'all are investing millions of dollars in more police and closing schools. You are investing in police and closing schools. You are investing in police and closing schools. What are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, it's just like when you think about your own personal finances, right? So, like, where you invest your money, right. and where you take your money out of, it kind of tells you right. what your goals are. Right. The state is inherently racist. If you're spending money on ice cream and you're canceling your gym membership, you say, you're not hey, really hey, listen, hey, and, and listen, and that's cool. If you want ice cream, right. cool. But just own that shit. And I feel like this is what we, we, we're always talking about punching, punching Nazis. We're always talking about like the explicit racists. And that's what gets all the, the trendy headlines and all the focus and all the attention. But meanwhile, you know, Auntie, you know, Nancy or Auntie Ernestine or Elizabeth or whatever, or Uncle Huey or whoever the fuck is out here doing and saying racist shit and actually has power. They, they have land or they have employees. They have the ability to hire and fire people. They own stuff, right? They have a living will that redounds money down to new generations of people. They have grandchildren who they are socializing into racist ways of living, right? So, so people who have actual power over the ways that racism ends up sustaining itself and pushing on into new generations. And those people, you ain't punching them. I feel like punching them might actually make a difference. Like, listen, a good sock in the jaw, a good punch in the throat. The throat, T-H-O-A-T, in the throat. Well, here's the thing. Those people are being racist. They're racist. Yeah. Right? There's no if, ands, or buts about it. Right. And I think you're right. Punch those people in the face, it would cause one of two things. Either It would either make them double down on the racism, mm-hmm. which, hey, they're already racist. So right. <laughs> what's the big change? What changes there? Or it would wake them up to go, wow, I really was being racist. Right. I didn't really want to be racist. I didn't mean to. Right. But hey, I'm now realizing a lot of the stuff that I'm right. doing is wrong. Listen. Let me now make some a, here's changes a news in flash. my life. Here's a newsflash. I think the Nazis know they're racist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I think the Nazis, they might already know. They might. They might already know they're racist. They could. I just have an inkling. They might already think. They might already think that the shit they're doing is a little racist. <laughs> but your auntie, she might not know. Punch that bitch. Right? Y'all want to punch somebody. You going to sit there and bust up your knuckles? Punch your auntie. Yeah. Well, we, we really need to end this. Okay. We got to stop. Gonna go forever. But the one thing, one thing I just thought about. And this this really came out of nowhere, but it, it is so applicable to this conversation. What was what was that song LL Cool J put out? What Mama the, said Nike out? No, it was a song he did with Oh the God, Accidental Racist, Accidental Racist. Oh gosh, girl. And I remember, I feel like I feel like sometimes it was like I just wear a flag from the Confederacy, but it's because <laughs> it's my culture. I said, what, girl? Sometimes. Multiple people need to get punched. I feel like in that situation, both of their asses should have been hit. LL Cool J needed to be knocked out. Well, LL should have punched him, and then somebody should have punched LL. Yeah, it should have been like a like a reciprocal LL punch. LL should have been required to punch him. Yeah, and then he should have been punched by somebody else. Because sometimes, sometimes 
that white supremacy has already just infected you right. as, a, as a black person. Right. I mean, Master P out here kicking it with Tommy Laren. What is we doing? What are we doing here? What are we doing? There are so many little implicit ways, little implicit racisms. And we'd be sitting here like, oh, they don't mean to, girl. Punch them. You want to punch somebody, punch them. Don't apologize. Save your wrist. Save your wrist. You know, train that wrist up real good. Save your knuckles. You know. Hey, they coming for Obamacare already, you know. Right. Get it in now before open enrollment. There you go. And just don't be punching them Nazis. The Nazis be working out. The The Nazis actually look... Crack adjacent. And if you know anything about somebody crack adjacent, if you know anything about somebody crack adjacent, listen. That's the other thing. People talk, talk about punching a Nazi like that's where it ends. Like I punched you. Ah. And you just gonna walk away. <laughs> okay, girl. Listen. If you if you punch somebody, you be ready you better be ready to fight. Listen, white people got lawyers. They got guns, yep, and they got a white supremacist law system on their side. Yep, you gotta you gotta come correct with a real listen, plan. And even poor whites be out here. <laughs> listen, I've been I've been in a lot of fights in my life. So y'all want to punch somebody? Be ready to fight. I'm just all I'm saying. Be ready to fight. But if you punch your Annie, you punch your Annie. What you gonna what she gonna do? She can't sue you because you you family. So domestic the domestic occurrence. She gonna break up the family. Punch your Annie. Punch her and then start the conversation. Punch her at Thanksgiving. It's coming up. Y'all celebrate that. The colonizers holiday. Imperialized Thanksgiving. Recolonize that. Columbus it. Re-Columbus. Can you de-Columbus? De-Columbus. I kind of like that. De-Columbus Thanksgiving and punch your family members. De-Columbus. Punch all of them. Y'all sitting there eating. What do white people eat for Thanksgiving? They eat green, green bean, bean casserole, casserole. <laughs> <laughs> and dry turkey, <laughs> dry, dry seasonless turkey, and craft macaroni and cheese and pumpkin pie. Okay, okay, I'm concerned that you knew the whole menu. We've been talking about this. I don't think I talked about it. We've been talking about it. All I'm saying is, I don't eat it. When you go to Thanksgivings, de Columbus it and punch your Amy, punch her for the culture. Like what you hear? You can find my mom and dad, a.k.a. That Black Couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. You can find them on Facebook at That Black Couple, and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at That BLK Couple. If you have questions or comments about the show, email them at thatblkcouple at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. All right, so now it's time for the reflection. Let's do it. So, you know, thinking about microaggressions and thinking about implicit racism, Mm -hmm. you know, in the reflection, we always tend to kind of talk about things on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I thought about when I thought about, like, these microaggressions and implicit racism, I thought about my own job situation. Yeah, girl. So, you know, this is well documented. I've talked to you about I've talked to you about this for years. Mm-hmm. But I had I had a former manager who was no longer with the company, mm-hmm. who actually didn't even live in the city. He, mm-hmm. he actually lived in a whole different state. Mm-hmm. And so he, we only really see him like once a month, maybe. Yep. But he made a habit every time he he would come up to the office, he would say, "Oh, I'm coming to Chicago, so you know I got to make sure I come with my Kevlar vest because you know there's just." Shots fired all around Chicago. There's people dying everywhere, right? Yeah. And and mind you, I'm on a team of let's say ten people, about, and I'm the only black person. Yeah. Right. And so I'm sitting here as this white man comes in here, 
every month talking about how, oh, Chicago, everyone's just getting shot. I better, you know, I got to watch my back. And it's just like the, the number one, talking about people's lives in such just a, just a disposable way. Right. It's just, just horrifying as a starting point. But then make no mistake, when we're talking about people that are being shot and killed in Chicago, we're largely talking about black people. Right. And to say that this white man has to come up with his Kevlar vest to protect himself because, you know, we're just so unsafe as we're in downtown Chicago with the bright lights and like, you know. And mostly white people. And mostly white people, you know, and we're we're supposed to, you know, as this is our manager, we're supposed to joke along with him and go, oh, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, I have my Kevlar vest. Oh, ho, ho. yeah, you got to watch out. You know, there's just so many homicides. Like, really? Yeah. And I, I always felt this, this, this. It just felt terrible sitting there like, I'm the black guy. So, number one, I'm not going to joke with you right. about this. Right. And at the same time, it makes me feel immensely uncomfortable and almost in a really bad position to even speak up and say anything about it. Because I'm also a black man in corporate America, and I know that my position here is not anywhere near as stable or safe as anybody else. It's the precarity. Right. And so, yeah. you're really boxed into this place of... Am I really just made to endure this every right. day and and just swallow it and just say, well, this is just how it is? And one, I will say one thing, you know, in the re- reflection, I know we really want to talk about like kind of ways to combat these so-called microaggressions and, and instances of implicit racism. Right. One of the ways that I kind of found that can be helpful to your point earlier is really kind of recruiting white people to do the work for you. Right. Right. So even in this work situation, right, it's like. I really should not have to be the black person to to say, hey, hey, boss person, you know, when you come in here and you joke about Kevlar vests and homicides, you're really talking about people that are dying that look like me. Yeah. And I don't think that's something that's humorous and funny. And I think it's actually really inappropriate to be having that type of a conversation in a professional workspace. That's not really a conversation I should have to have. Right. But if I can recruit some other white person on my team to have that conversation on my behalf, number one. He's going to be more receptive to it because, like we said, white people talking to white people, they're on the same wavelength, they're on the same level, they understand each other's language, they're more likely to receive the message. Plus, I then don't have to do that labor and also put myself at risk. And I feel like that's the other thing that we haven't really touched on so much. We just talked about it with, you know, punching Nazis in the face, but there are real risks. Absolutely. Tied to things. Absolutely. And I feel like as black people... Where we live at risk every day. Yep. I feel like we should do the best that we can to limit Absolutely. the amount of additional risk we put ourselves in. I agree. And so even when we're fighting microaggressions, even when we're fighting racism or quote unquote just racism in general, I think we should I think we should always do our due diligence to also kind of insulate ourselves and protect ourselves in whichever way is possible. I agree. I agree. And I think so to piggyback on your point, I think that's why I've written a lot lately about how what I'm not gonna do. Like, as an academic, I get a lot of people who email me and want just answers to stuff. And they just expect me to tell them. You know, I get a lot of people who don't understand that that's actually a kind of misogynistic thing to think that this black woman is supposed to do this labor for you because you simply email me and demand to know, right? Or even, you know, for me, 
and the the corporate environment like that was very violent and when i was really young i went to hr on several occasions to deal with the stuff i was experiencing where people were calling me you know oh you know africans like you and people with the corn rolls and the this and the that and like making comments about you know oh you pregnant women i don't know why you guys keep having babies and you know things that people would say joking about how i liked watermelon or fried chicken or macaroni and cheese and you know like these things really actually happened when i worked at disney like real life real life actually things that happened and i reported people to hr but i also saw that after i reported them i got treated differently on the team I got treated differently. There was a time when a girl was joking about how she was being super ghetto because she sang a, a Erica Badu song when she was trying out for some like show or something like that. And I was really offended because she wasn't black. Um, and she was implying that Erica Badu and black people are inherently ghetto. And she was saying this in front of a room full of white people. And she did the whole neck thing and the finger thing. And that was really off-putting to me as the only black person in the room. And when I said something about it, they all started treating me differently. You know, they stopped speaking to me. So I think that there's definitely like there's risk. There's absolutely risk. And it's really rough because there is a certain amount of precarity with blackness in public spaces. There's a certain amount of precarity with blackness in the workplace, which is why a lot of people who do this kind of work, never the twain shall meet. It's like you do this, you have this personal identity that is about abolition and liberation and justice and all that work. And then you have who you are at work. And a lot of times they don't even cross because it's not, it's not fruitful for people at your job to know that, you know, this is what you're doing because they take, you know, there's consequences. And so for me, I think that, you know, this is why I want to talk about implicit racism because, and microaggressions, because so much of it is not implicit for black people, the people who are the actual subjects of that racism and those aggressions. You know, when we put micro on the front and we put implicit on the front, we minimize the impact and the experiences for the people who actually are the most at risk for having to deal with what those things are. And that's why I push back on it. You know, we're, I will never forget the types of quote unquote microaggressions I experienced in my first five years in the corporate America. I'll never forget them. Other people, the people who did it, they probably don't even remember that stuff. Yeah. They probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I'll never forget it. It's crystal clear in my brain. There's stuff I can't remember from that time because I had had babies and I was tired. But that stuff, I will never forget for the rest of my black ass life. I'll never forget. You know, and that's why we have to be really careful about when we're naming these types of larger systemic processes that manifest themselves in our daily, like, quotidian experiences and intergroup interactions to not also in some ways use our own power and privilege to decide how those experiences are valued or experienced for the people who are yeah. who are the subjects. And that's why I push back every time we talk about symbolic racism, implicit racism, microaggressions. I'm like, no, this shit is macro as hell. Like well, I mean you think about it, those things are labeled from the perspective of of white people. Of the the transgressor. Right. Of oh I did something racist. What kind of racist What kind it? of racist is it? Oh, but it was just, I was just implying something. So right. it's implicit. Right. It wasn't explicit. I wasn't saying I hate black people or all black people are apes. Right. Right. I, I was just saying, oh, well, you know, are you really good at basketball? I was just asking. <laughs> I was just asking. You know? <laughs> you know, everyone must ask you that. Right. I mean, it's just normal. It's normal for people to assume that you play basketball and right. black. But, and to, but to your point, like, if we name these things based upon the people that are receiving the harm, right? we would never say, oh, well, that's, that's, that was just implied racism. Right. 
Or right. that's that was just a microaggression. It wasn't it wasn't like really something that was you know really super aggressive. Right. It was just it was just a little. Right. You know, it's a you know that's not how we as those receiving the harm right. would ever characterize it. Right. Things. Or like how most black people refer to Kwame Ture and Charles V. Hamilton's idea of what racism is from black power, the politics of liberation. It's about power. It's this idea that you actually have, you know discriminatory ideas and biases against a certain group and then you have the power to do something about it but you say something about this idea of you know Ture and Hamilton's and thinking about racism as a intersections of power and privilege and you'll have white people who be like well I googled it and here's the google definition let me get a screenshot here's a screenshot and I'm gonna send you <laughs> the definition you, you don't know what the definition of racism is yes you study it and everything and you've read all the books but I went to the google and it says this so so I'm right and you're like are we serious are we doing this really like, we're, we're doing this we're doing this and that's my issue it's like this is why I feel like white people have to do the work of talking to white people about what racism is and stop using terms like implicit racism they have to talk to each other about what microaggressions are and stop using the term microaggression. And they have to start using the term white supremacy and get really comfortable with it. Because people don't like when you say white supremacy because then they have to say white supremacist. Right. Right. People don't like to say racism because then you have to say racist. And that feels really, really uncomfortable. Well, I mean, people have been trained to just be immediately offended. Right. By being labeled either one of those things. But sometimes you are. Right. I'm a man. Sometimes I'm a misogynist. Yeah. Whether I want to be or not. Right. I'm cis. Sometimes I'm cis-sexist. That's what it is. It just is. And and you're not going to fix it unless you call it out and say, hey, that's what that was. Right. You're just going to repeat and do the same things over and over and over. I agree. And find, you know, unique and, and specific ways to dodge the reality of the situation. I agree. I agree. And that's why we have to stop this shit. Thank y'all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple, on Facebook at that black couple, and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you have to rate us high because we petty bitches and we don't like no low ratings. Bye.